Welcome to CC Partners, the employer's choice. We provide expert legal and strategic advice in all areas of labor and employment law. By working closely with our clients, our experienced team delivers pragmatic, proactive solutions, resolving many issues before they escalate. Get to know us better at ccpartners.ca. Good morning, everyone. I'll start by way of some introductions. Uh, my name is Kelsey Orth. I'm a partner here at CC Partners. With me today are panelists Christina Tomaino and Charles Bins. And helping us out managing the Q&A session is our articling student, Danielle Jagger. This is our Lawyers for Employers webinar. And if you're not joining us live, then you're listening to the Lawyers for Employers podcast or watching the broadcast of the Lawyers for Employers webinar. It's our 24th uh, broadcast, and I believe it's the 14th one that we've done related to COVID. So uh, as we all know, COVID has eclipsed all other things in our lives over the last year and a half. What we want to talk about today is the vaccination policies that you all as childcare operators, supervisors, or um, administrators are dealing with in terms of developing um, in time for the return to school and the September 7th date of the return of most uh, children to, to child cares, at least those who have not been there yet. So without further ado, we've got, uh, you know, we plan to have two parts to today's webinar, one being uh, the presentation from our panelists, and then we'll have a separate Q&A session at the end. The Q&A portion uh, will take a quick break in between them. So if you have to leave, by all means, don't worry about it. You can come back. Uh, as soon as we get everything processed, we'll post everything on our website and we'll, we'll put the Q&A portion up separately. Um, what you can do to, if you have a question and you haven't uh, submitted it ahead of time, please use the Q&A function at the bottom of your screen or your Zoom screen to type in your question. And uh, if it's not addressed directly in the presentation, we'll get to it in the Q&A portion afterwards. Danielle is going to be monitoring that as we go, and we will do our best to uh, answer everything that comes up. So without further ado, let's move on. We're going to talk about COVID-19 vaccines generally this morning, um, the introduction of vaccination policies, what are the current regulations, what about vaccination policies specific to child cares? And then we'll talk about building your own vaccination policy, what needs to go into it, what can and can't be. And then we've got a little update based on yesterday's announcement uh, regarding vaccine passports, the colloquial term for the certification of vaccination. And then, of course, the Q&A, as we mentioned. So as we all recall, the Pfizer vaccine was the first to get approved in Canada and it began uh, its rollout or the, the various governments began the rollout of Pfizer vaccine in December of 2020. 
Now, at that time, as we all recall, the, the eligibility for vaccination was very specific and there wasn't a whole lot known. Um, but as we note here, the, those first viable vaccines came out just nine months after the pandemic started, which is an incredible scientific achievement. And credit to you know everyone across the world who was working in, in concert to, to get those things uh, through the, the necessary processes. However, uh, as we all know, the fact that they came out so quickly certainly caused some confusion and led to a little bit of vaccine hesitancy and um, and uncertainty, right? And and in that regard, um, you have only to look at reasons people give even now for not getting vaccinated. They say it's too fast or it's come out too quickly. Um, <clears throat> I'll leave aside my own personal feelings with respect to that, but certainly that was something that, that posed an issue. And we also had a lot of mixed messaging at the beginning and um, you know some confusion and, and even some anger with respect to the different types of vaccines, what was best for you, what was safe, what wasn't. Regardless, by early 2021, all of the approved vaccines from Health Canada uh, in terms of the Health Canada approval, were known to be safe, effective, and available. So as that came up, of course, employers started looking at what can we do? How do we put vaccination policies into place in our workplaces? And you know, more specifically, for those employers dealing with vulnerable populations or in congregate care settings, there was a definite um, impetus and, and motivation to look at the best ways to protect not only their employees, but their clients. And in our case, talking about the childcare sector, we're talking about kids, um, especially when we didn't know. And now, you know, we're seeing the Delta variant is more transmissible and perhaps not quite as um, benign towards children as the original COVID-19 virus was. So people wanted vaccination policies nice and early. Okay, so I'll pick up from there. Thanks, Kelsey. Um, so obviously we had the vaccines, a uh, large number of people wanted them. And as Kelsey mentioned, in particular employers were wanting their employees to get back um, into the workplace in a, a safe and healthy way. And of course, I think everyone understands that vaccines are gonna play a large role in that both in the early days and as we go ahead. So main question being for most employers is how do I introduce a vaccine policy? What can I tell my employees? Can I require them to get vaccinated? Um, do they have to be tested if they don't? What are the accommodation possibilities? All those kinds of questions are just kind of flooding in. And they are really obviously very difficult questions to have. And part of the problem that we have in trying to address those questions is that we really don't have too many precedents to go off of. I'm sure everyone's sick of hearing, you know, this pandemic's unprecedented and we've never dealt with this stuff before, but fortunately that's true when it comes to vaccination policies also. So whenever you're faced with any question, of course, you wanna start with the general principles. And first there's the question of employers who are unionized and employers who are non-unionized. There's a practical difference in that non-unionized employers 
are going to have just a, pr probably an easier time implementing these policies. Um, it's just a little easier to get pushback from the union. Um, and it's maybe more likely that you'd be challenged on a policy, but that doesn't mean that the policies themselves should necessarily be any different. And it's very likely that they're going to be subject to the same kind of scrutiny if they are challenged um, at any point in time. So when it comes to a policy, um, these kind of directions come from case law from the unionized workplace. Essentially, when you have a policy that's going to be unilaterally implemented by an employer, which some of you may wish to engage your union partners, and it probably is a good idea to do that. But at some point, if there are objections, you may decide to just go ahead with the policy over those objections anyways, in which case it would be a unilateral policy implemented by the employer. And so basically, there's a few things you have to keep in mind. Any policy, whether it's vaccination, whether it's vacation, whatever it is, it, it has to be consistent with the collective agreements or any employment contracts that you have in place. So any policy you have that conflicts you know, directly or indirectly with the collective agreement or an employment contract is not going to be held up. It's going to be seen as unreasonable and reasonableness is always the test when it comes to these policies. Second thing is that policies have to be clear and unequivocal. There can't be any question as to what the expectations are, if it's going to be testing, how often should you be tested? Um, if it's going to be vaccination, does it apply to all employees equally? Are there different kinds of employees, maybe based on where they work and what they do that are going to be different standards? So it has to be as clear and unequivocal as possible. Um, if there's going to be discipline associated with a failure to live up to the requirements of the policy, what are the disciplinary consequences going to be? You really have to spell that out clearly in order to be able to rely on it in the future. Um, fourth, it has to be implemented in a reasonable time frame, which is a, a little bit more difficult here, obviously, because we've been told, I think we all would have liked to have heard a little sooner um, that this mandate was going to come in, um, but they all have to be in place by September 7th. So what that means from a timeline perspective is you may have to make some allowances for employees who aren't vaccinated on that date to get it shortly thereafter. But there's, you can't just implement the policy on Monday and expect that it's going to be fully in place on Tuesday. And that goes for any policy, not just vaccine policy. And then number five is just kind of a catch-all. The policy has to be otherwise reasonable. So what that means is going to vary depending on what kind of business you're in, what kind of sector you're in, where you're doing your work, all those kinds of factors. So it is kind of an amorphous concept. It's always reasonableness. It's kind of the North Star, North Star that you're trying to guide yourself by. Um, and as I was saying, we don't really have too many precedents. That's not to say that we have none. We have, um, again, particularly three cases out of the hospital sector. These are called the vaccinator mask cases, where essentially you can you can read these cases if you want, but um, something like four or five hundred pages all in. So, you know, if you have some time on your hands, be my guest. But essentially, three different hospitals. First was in BC, and they wanted to institute a policy whereby employees of the hospital had to receive their flu vaccinations or wear masks, I believe, just during the flu seasons. Um, and this was challenged by unions. Policy was upheld in BC, but in the two Ontario cases, they were actually overturned. So the employers were told that they couldn't implement those policies. And it was largely based on the scientific evidence that was provided in the case. So... Again, because you're relying specifically on 
you know, flu concerns and how to deal with those. And now we're talking about COVID concerns where I think the science is different on transmissibility and how to best protect yourself. Not necessarily going to be able to rely on those vaccinator mask cases for guidance here. And then again, so obviously this is all happening in context. Um, other things to think about is the fourth wave of COVID, which obviously is, is going to be a bigger problem for the unvaccinated. Fortunately, that includes children under the age of 12 currently. So something particularly important in the childcare sector. And then the other thing to look at is just what's, what's going on elsewhere out in the world. So for example, you can see August 13th, the federal government announced vaccinations would be or vaccination policies would be required for public servants and anyone air and train passengers all that kind of thing so this is even though we don't have specific cases that tell us your vaccination policy must have this must not have that there are other resources that we can look to to try and figure out what our policy should be looking like um okay so on to the next slide uh, we got some information about kind of what it is what is happening out there in other sectors so Ontario government recently has made a number of announcements about where they're going to require vaccine policies for example obviously childcare and education long-term care homes healthcare facilities um, and we we do kind of expect that there may be more and more sectors or even geographical areas added to that list as we go on um, Another thing to mention is even though you have, so in the childcare and education sector, and we'll get into the specific requirements a little later, you should be viewing these kind of like employment standards, like they're a floor of a minimum kind of what you need to have in your policy. It doesn't necessarily mean that you can't go above and beyond or add things into your policy that align with your needs or your operation that aren't necessarily in the requirements or the mandates from the government. So you always have to be thinking about what's going on where you are geographically. You know, it could be what the physical layout of where you work looks like. It could be the number of employees, the number of kids in care, all those kinds of factors will need to be considered when making a policy that works for your center. Um, and then again, so the, the emphasis here is they're not necessarily mandating vaccines, which I think a lot of people maybe hoped the government would do. Um, not realistic given their kind of messaging around this issue but that's not what they've done what they've done is they've mandated vaccine policies and then they've said generally your policies have to account for xyz all things that we'll get into a little later so again it kind of puts the onus on the employers here to come up with a reasonable policy that can be defended in the context of their specific operation so as of August 24th, the government of Ontario passed a regulation under the Reopening Ontario Act, which sets out the rules for areas in step three, currently all of Ontario's in step threes. So these things apply across the province. And in particular, they included this regulation, which says the person responsible for a business or organization that is open shall operate the business organization in compliance with any advice, recommendations, and instructions issued by the office of the chief medical officer of health or by a medical officer of health after consultation with the office of the chief medical officer of health. So we all know who the chief medical officer of health is. Medical officers of health are your local kind of board chairs. Um, so in Toronto would be Eileen Davila. Um, these people who have been issuing recommendations. And then again, again, it says, 
where they require business organization to establish, implement, and ensure compliance with COVID vaccination policy or setting out the precautions and procedures that the business organization must include in their vaccination policy. So this regulation again was passed on August 24th. There's a little bit of confusion um, about the legal effect of the recommendations that are being issued by the local public health officers. So for example, this regulation was passed on August 24th. On August 20th, Toronto's uh, public officer of health issued recommendations strongly encouraging employers to have vaccine policies. Because the recommendations were made prior to 24th, it's not clear whether that's actually a legal requirement. And then you have other officers, for example, in Peel and Halton and Hamilton, have come up with recommendations after the 24th, but it's not clear whether they've been done in consultation with the chief medical officer of health. So some people are saying that these recommendations are requiring employers to have these policies. Um, luckily, we know because we're in the childcare sector that we are required to have these policies, but there still is a little bit of confusion about how it affects other businesses. Um, so again, kind of like we've been dealing with since the beginning of the pandemic, there's not quite as clear a direction as we would like, but luckily in childcare, while well, we're still waiting for some of the meat to be put on those bones, we know that we have to have those policies. So it's important to think about what they're, what they need to look like. And for that, I'll pass it on to Christina to talk a little bit more in detail about what's going on in the childcare sector. Thanks, Charles. Right, so as, as he said, um, while there may be some uncertainty with respect to most sectors outside the healthcare, uh, long-term care industries where we have seen some specific mandates, childcare does have some specific requirements that were announced um, back on August 17th by the Ministry of Education. Um, so as I see Karen has noted for us in the question and answer section as well, uh, the Ministry of Education is putting together a more comprehensive policy for child care centers with respect to what they're calling an immunization disclosure policy. And this would apply to all employees, um, home care providers, child care visitors, and every person who's ordinarily a resident of the premises. So if you have someone who's coming in um, frequently to do maintenance, then they would be subject to this requirement as well, as well as volunteers, students, uh, special needs resources, frequent visitors. And at minimum, this policy is requiring that they provide either proof of full disclosure against COVID-19, uh, a formal documented medical reason for not being vaccinated for COVID-19, or to have them participate in an educational program. Uh, and as has been kind of fleshed out by the province, that would be about the benefits of vaccination prior to declining the vaccination for any reason other than a medical reason. Now, as Charles said, that's the absolute baseline. So certainly many centers have gone above and beyond these requirements in order to uh, protect the health and safety of their students and employees. So many are, for example, requiring not just disclosure, but in fact, for employees to be vaccinated, um, absent some necessary accommodation, as we'll discuss further a, a little later on. Um, and we note that school boards may also implement additional policies that can apply to childcare centers if they're located on a school premises. 
So we know, for example, that the TDSB uh, is developing a policy of this nature. They haven't released it yet, but they have announced it will cover any childcare center that's located on their premises. So as we've seen, and, and Charles has alluded to, we're still expecting some future guidance, um, especially around different aspects, for example, reporting, um, gathering information with respect to the number of employees vaccinated. So we can expect to see the Ministry of Education release some further information on that as we get closer to the start of the school year, uh, although we're cutting it fairly close already. Um, so that's you know something for centers to be mindful of as you're developing your vaccination policy. Take this as a guideline, take this as a minimum requirement and really consider, um, is this sufficient for our needs? Do we feel that these requirements are going to keep our, our staff and our students and, and broader center communities safe? Uh, or do we think that we need something a bit more aggressive? And we can certainly assist in developing either a baseline policy or a more, uh, we'll call it aggressive policy with respect to vaccination. And on the topic of, of vaccination policies, uh, I'll turn it over to Kelsey. Thank you, Christina. Yeah, aggressive, ro more robust, however we want to uh, determine, as, as Christina and Charles have already kind of told us. <clears throat> what uh, what we've been given is, is the minimum, right? And, you know, I said earlier on that at the beginning when vaccines were available, many employers were looking to roll out vaccination policies and wanted to know what they could or couldn't do. And, you know, I think from our perspective as lawyers studying the way things have rolled out and changed over time, certainly the legal landscape has, has shifted from back then to now, and Charles, you know, um, highlighted the the legal principles that we had to look at in terms of you know when would a, a vaccination policy be reasonable and and how and you know in our in our view that has changed. Um, you know, we now know how devastating not just COVID-19, but especially our fourth wave Delta variant can be in terms of transmissibility and uh, its effect on the unvaccinated. And for that reason, um, you know, we think that we can reasonably and rightfully consider being more aggressive in our approach to, to mandating vaccines. So with that in mind, let's talk about the key components of your vaccination policy. So first, You've got to figure out the scope and, and enunciate that in your policy. What's the purpose? Who will it apply to? And what personal information will be collected? So obviously the purpose is to you know, kind of mitigate against the risk of COVID-19 transmission. Um, what actions are required? So we have to specifically state what is expected of our employees, uh, including you know, proof of vaccination status or a medical exemption, and, and we keep referring to medical, and obviously, you know, human rights accommodation in most cases is typically more than just on the grounds of, of medical or disability, but um, for the purposes of some healthcare sectors, the specific wording of, of their um, mandate is 
to in fact only allow medical exemptions. Um, the other reason from our perspective that we're referring largely to medical exemptions is that there are very, very few religions, which would be the only other one under which um, somebody could, could claim an exemption for COVID-19 vaccination from our perspective, again, uh, only other legal reason to do so. There are two religions that I have found in my research uh, over the last year and a half that uh, are specifically against vaccination. And um, they're uh, the Church of Christian Science or Christian Scientists and a Dutch Reformed Church, both of which are, um, I think, found only in the U.S. Um, or perhaps a, a little bit up here. But um, in any event, the religious exemption is uh, one which if somebody, if one of your employees is citing a religious exemption, then that is something certainly that you need more information on and, and you're entitled to ask more about. Um, if you do encounter that as we start rolling out these vaccination policies, then then talk to us and we'll help you navigate those waters because it's not as simple as simply saying, that's BS, you can't claim religious exemption here. Um, but in any event, um, the actions getting back to the <laughs> getting back to the building blocks of the vaccination policy, you need to be talking about the specific actions required. So they have to provide proof of vaccination. I think Christina mentioned this as well, or their medical exemption, or if you're, you know, if you're complying with the um, province's mandate, then it's simply um, evidence that they've completed a vaccination education course if, they, if they're not getting vaccinated. Now, if your policy is gonna go farther, then you have to, you know, if you're gonna have testing instead, right? Um, and we'll get into that a little bit more on provisions for unvaccinated workers. Deadlines. When do things need to be in place? When do consequences start to occur for those who have not met the deadlines, right? So if we're saying, you know, within 14 days of the policy becoming effective, everybody has to have their first dose and, um, you know, six weeks thereafter, you have to have your second dose or something like that, whatever your uh, respective timelines are. And that's kind of what we see rolling out in some of the um, you know, provincial policies. What are the supports available? Well, you want to talk about um, how you as an organization will support staff, whether it's giving them time off, um, you know, whether they're, you're going to provide them with information with respect to clinics that are nearby for vaccination. Um, some employers are, are even you know, establishing on-site vaccination or at least having um, access to mobile clinics. Um, that was happening a lot more before, even before vaccination policies, but um, there might be um, things that you can do as an employer. And, and to the extent that there are, you're going to identify those in your policy. Then you have to talk about what's going to happen if you're not vaccinated, right? Whether it's redeployment or reassignment, um, whether there are alternate work arrangements such as working from home. Obviously, when we're talking about frontline staff and now we've got all the kids back in person, uh, those opportunities are going to be limited. And so if, uh, you know, if there's not an opportunity, then we're talking about uh, other options, which we'll, we'll discuss more in a, in a couple of minutes. 
consequences of non-compliance with the with the policy. So um, if you're not vaccinated and you're not providing any of those things that the policy says are required of you, what are the consequences? Well, it's pretty simple. If you're not complying with the policy, now this is separate from what you can do for people who are not getting vaccinated uh, based on what your policy says, but if they're not complying with the policy at all, then it's the same, it almost could have the same effect, but in a more straightforward way where you say, hey, you're not complying, that's discipline up to and including termination of employment because uh, this vaccination policy applies to all employees. Privacy considerations, obviously we're talking about medical information and normally we wouldn't necessarily be asking people if they've done this or done that with respect to their own health. However, in the circumstances, it's reasonable and required to do so. Um, and that's exactly what the immunization and disclosure policy uh, that the, the title that Christina referenced is all about. Nonetheless, we do have to, to you know, state in our policy that the information will be kept confidential and not shared. And you know, it is personal health information and therefore uh, protected by legislation. So we've got to be cognizant of our duties as an employer to safeguard that information. Um, one point that we often make in, in that regard is that um, you know, your staff members shouldn't feel compelled to answer the question, are you vaccinated or not, um, when either their coworkers are asking them or clients or parents, right? Um, I know as a parent of a child in daycare and, and in the school system, I would love to know that everything is being done to protect my kids and their teachers. Um, and so statements from employers that, hey, all our people are vaccinated. To me, that's a great thing. Um, from a legal perspective, can you require that of your staff? Probably not. You can make that decision as an employer if you wish, but um, you know that, that comes with some risk. So when you talk about the privacy considerations, you're, you're making sure to identify for employees that they're not compelled to answer that question. Now, of course, um, the you know other part of the policy is for people who are unvaccinated for legitimate reasons, uh, i.e. a medical exemption, they're going to end up with a different type of employment for at least the time while the pandemic is still in place and things will likely become obvious to their coworkers. But um, we were talking about this and, and basically um, kind of disclosure by inference is not um, a, a breach of privacy or confidentiality obligations on the part of the employer. Um, and then a contact person, who are your employees going to talk to if they have questions about the policy or what is required of them through the policy? So what are the bare minimums based on what the province has said? Well, you have to disclose your vaccination status. And if the status is not fully vaccinated, you have to disclose the reasons why. As I just alluded to, this is a little bit different from what we normally um, you know, expect with, res with respect to our access to medical information of our employees. You've all probably heard us say prognosis, not diagnosis. And this is a, a little bit along the same lines, except that because it is indeed the vaccination status that is 
central to the issue, we're entitled to know. So um, <clears throat> we need to know when people have it, when they don't, and how they're going to deal with it. And then in terms of the reasons, like we said, um, there are very few exemptions under the Human Rights Code, a medical exemption with proper documentation, or um, but possibly a religious exemption. But again, you need, you need all of the information there. Um, personal preference, not going to fly, right? Uh, I don't think the vaccine's been out long enough, not going to fly. I've done my research and it's not safe, also not going to fly. So it's, it's pretty, I mean, to the extent that anything is cut and dry, uh, this is about as close as it gets in terms of differentiating between vaccinated and non-vaccinated and the reasons for, doing, for, for not being vaccinated. With that, I will turn it over to Christina to talk a little bit more about building the policy. Thanks, Kelsey. So I'll just jump off uh, your last point there. And when it comes to accommodating unvaccinated employees, uh, Kelsey has it exactly right. It's people who are protected under the Ontario Human Rights Code. Uh, typically, what we've seen is medical reasons or religious reasons. I've yet to see anything else when it comes to a claim uh, that someone does not need to be vaccinated. Maybe someone will get creative but for now, that's what we're dealing with. Uh, the good news is, and I'm sure each of you in your, your centers have received a medical note that says, uh, you know, this person cannot attend at work for medical reasons. Thankfully, for the most part, um, medical professionals want people to be vaccinated. So there's some comfort that we won't be, or hopefully we won't be seeing too many uh, frivolous medical notes giving vaccination exemptions, especially in the childcare sector. And certainly if, if there is something that's questionable, um, you can always follow up for more medical information in the way that you would for any other accommodation. Now, when it comes to religion, as Kelsey said, uh, it's, it's not overly clear what grounds would prevent vaccination. Most, if not all, of the major organized religions have come out in support of vaccination. Um, so what we would say in that case is don't simply accept it at face value. While religious accommodation can be a bit complicated in that it just needs to be a sincerely held religious belief, it doesn't necessarily need to be rubber stamped by the religious organization that the employee is claiming um, affinity to, uh, we can certainly push back. And, and what I've seen at least is that um, that facade of religious belief occasionally does crumble and you see that underneath it's really someone just doesn't want to be vaccinated. Um, and with a bit of pushing, you, you tend to be able to get there. And as Kelsey said, um, simply choosing not to be vaccinated because you are an anti-vaxxer, you don't believe in the vaccine, you have concerns about its development or its implementation, you think there's a microchip. Uh, none of that is protected. We've actually seen some good case law come out of BC with respect to mask mandates um, that is very analogous to the vaccine mandate, basically saying just the fact that you don't want to do something uh, that's not protected at law and certainly not in an employment context. 
Now, for those that are appropriately accommodated, um, for example, because of a medical reason, um, there are alternatives. And the alternative isn't just that, okay, well, you can't be vaccinated, therefore, you can just go about your day the way you normally would if you were vaccinated. So at the moment, we are still seeing that there are PPE requirements for all employees, regardless of vaccination status. But if we do reach a point where the public health guidance is that only unvaccinated employees are required to be masking, uh, to be physically distancing, et cetera, um, just because someone has a medical exemption to the vaccine requirement, that doesn't mean that they're suddenly free to disregard all other COVID protocols. So if someone has a valid reason for not being vaccinated, that's fine. If possible, we accommodate it, but we do that by ensuring that they have full PPE at all times, that they're complying with all the COVID protocols and potentially undergoing regular COVID testing, either rapid testing or regular testing. I've seen some employers uh, request it twice weekly, uh, rapid testing before every shift. So those options are valid accommodations. Um, to ensure that if someone is coming to work and they're unvaccinated, they're not bringing undue risk into the workplace. And to, we'll also note that for people who just have not had the chance to get vaccinated yet, um, given that we've seen a fairly quick shift in the approach to vaccination policies, we do want to provide some reasonable time to go out and get vaccinated, at the very least the first dose. Um, it's fairly easy to access vaccination at this point. It's been wildly available um, for a number of months now. So employees should be able, if you give them, say, two weeks to go out and get vaccinated. And we know that there is still access to paid sick days if the employees have not already used them in order to go and get vaccinated. What we would encourage is if there's some hesitancy um, or if the logistics of going and getting vaccinated seem like a barrier to employees, as a center, perhaps reach out, provide some guidance, uh, some resources. This is where you can go. Uh, we'll help you with, with scheduling, accommodation in order to make that happen. Uh, so that's just another another consideration. Yeah, thanks, Christina. I, I was before you, uh, you made your last comments there, I was going to jump in and say, you know, if you're we talked about a you know less aggressive versus a more aggressive approach and certainly employers who are uh, looking to take a, a less aggressive approach are instituting testing as uh, as an alternative to mandatory vaccination um, and you can you know certainly um, we've helped employers work through how that might work what it looks like and and what they can require of people um, and again even there you can be um, as aggressive as you feel is appropriate, um, given the consequences that we know um, arise from from the transmission. Absolutely, and you know, in in this case, more than more than most, I'd say, um, there really is a valid reason for employers to be pushing vaccination on anyone who can uh, medically receive the vaccine. And you've heard us, I'm sure, in, in other webinars or, or in our blog posts, discuss accommodation and the need to have a bona fide occupational requirement for a policy that is going to be applied. So, for example, in a childcare setting, 
There's difficulty when it comes to infection control. Um, certainly you can put all steps in as are appropriate and reasonable, uh, but you know as well as I do that trying to maintain physical distancing with a group of four-year-olds is easier said than done. Uh, trying to get kids to keep masks on or get kids not to sneeze directly in someone's face. These are all challenges that childcare centers face um, that other employers don't. And so therefore the need for employees to be vaccinated, I would say is higher. So if it becomes a question of accommodation, as I mentioned earlier, you can look into alternatives. You can put in place protocols so that unvaccinated employees are not posing a risk to the center and the health of other employees and students. But it may come a point based on the specific circumstances of the center uh, and the resources to do things like rapid testing or to you know, put an unvaccinated employee in a position where they don't have that close contact with others. It may get to a point where you say, well, we've, we've reached a, a point of frustration and that the vaccine is a bona fide occupational requirement uh, to work at our center. And if that can't be done, then we, we need to look at other alternatives. I would certainly approach that step with caution. I uh, would wait for further guidance, either from provincial health authorities or from the Ministry of Education in that respect. Um, but then when we look at, say, other options, including a without cause termination, an unpaid leave of absence until we were over the fourth wave. Uh, these are all things that can be considered depending on the needs of the, uh, the employee and the center and the extent to which, say, medical issues come into it. So for example, if someone can't be vaccinated, uh, and the reason for that is that they're immunocompromised, well, it may not be feasible to have them in the center at all uh, for their safety and their ability to uh, work safely. So considering both the safety of all employees and the individual employee who's looking for the accommodation. And as Charles mentioned earlier, if you're a unionized center, you want to be having these conversations with your union partners. Accommodation is a multi-party process. So you want to be engaging the union early, um, having those discussions. And so if there is any challenge to the procedures you put in place, you can say that you've hit those procedural obligations right from the start. Thanks, Christina. So as we saw yesterday, finally, uh, what we've all been hoping for and waiting for, the um, colloquial known vaccine passport, the certification of vaccination, uh, was announced by the provincial government, and that's as of September 22nd. Ontario, uh, all Ontarians will need to be fully vaccinated uh, and provide that proof of that vaccination with their ID to access certain public buildings and facilities. So they're talking about high-risk indoor public settings and places where face coverings cannot necessarily always be worn. Um, so some of the exact scenarios that Christina just mentioned and that we know are part of daily life in the childcare setting. So um, does this apply directly to the childcare setting? Not necessarily. 
However, what it does and why we wanted to highlight it here is from our perspective, this gives us a little bit more weight behind implementing our own mandatory vaccination policies. Uh, the reason for that is the government has identified, and again, as you know, we said at the beginning of this, it would have been great if the government just mandated it for everyone rather than leaving it up to employers, but we're in the situation where um, unfortunately that didn't happen. And so we're left to um, sort it out on our own. In that regard, when you see something like this, that emphasizes the need for mandatory vaccination to access other types of you know, buildings and, and events that are optional, um, but clearly carry the same kind of risk as the setting in which we operate on a daily basis, from our perspective, that gives us a little bit more legal back, backing um, when establishing a mandatory vaccination policy, the, the more aggressive or more robust type policy that we've referred to several times already today. So obviously we've got the vaccine passport that's uh, coming into, into effect. And from our perspective, that helps us in, in establishing a, a more strict vaccination policy. So before we get to the questions, um, I just want to thank everybody for coming today and of course, um, you know, for sharing the information and the details of the webinar uh, with anyone else who's here. For, for anybody who hasn't met our firm before, uh, we are a boutique labor and employment law firm. Uh, we advise employers exclusively. We call ourselves Lawyers for Employers. And uh, as many of you on the attendee list know, we do have uh, a fair bit of expertise in the childcare sector. And uh, we've been working, the firm has been working with the childcare sector for uh, its in, entire existence, which I think we're now up to uh, 20, this is our 23rd year as a firm, I believe. Um, I've been here for I'm going to say the majority of that and working with child cares since uh, long before I even thought I might want a child on my own. And uh, certainly I've learned a lot. But the one thing I've learned is that, uh, you know, we are uh, in the child care sector, a unique, um, a unique sector, uh, both for by virtue of our clients being that vulnerable population and uh, by virtue of the way that uh, we have to deal with the various levels of administration, um, whether you're a private operator or a, a not-for-profit. Um, this is one of the most heavily regulated industries, but again, uh, that can lead to a lot of confusion, and that's what we're here to, to help guide you through. Um, we'll transition to the Q&A momentarily. I want to thank, obviously, my fellow panelists and colleagues, and uh, Danielle as well for managing the Q&A. Um, if you're not able to stick with us, that's fine. You'll be able to find uh, this webinar and the separate Q&A session on the broadcast tab on our website. Our website is www.ccpartners.ca. And uh, we deliver weekly blogs as well as these various webinars and podcasts. Um, and if you want to join our mailing list and aren't yet on it, just email info at ccpartners.ca and asked to be put on the blog list. And 
Um, we do have a separate childcare specific blog list as well that uh, brings you anything specific to the childcare industry um, and our take on any um, general you know, news that comes out related to labor and employment and, and how it can affect the childcare industry. So, um, as I said, we'll get these up on our website as soon as possible, but we'd love it if everybody can stick around. We'll get to uh, many, if not all, of the questions that you've posed in, uh, in just a moment as we transition over to the Q&A. Uh, and, of course, our, our contact info, um, if you have any questions whatsoever, please feel free to reach out directly to any one of us uh, or anyone else on the CCP team. Uh, who you might regularly interact with, and we're happy to to help. 